Chapter Fifteen of Countdown by Kurt Becker, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Eleven. Back in Andy's bare room inside the other hill, Ned changed back into his own clothes, which came out of the enamel cabinet, looking as if they had never been worn. Something still puzzled him. How come? He asked. Did I never hear the sound of Maria take off? You can hear a jet miles away. Not this one. Somebody figured out a way of putting sound baffles in the rear of the nosilas, just behind the engines. Sound mirrors, I think he called them. They reflect the sound up, so that all you get, unless you're above the ship somewhere, is a nice friendly sort of rumble, like a lion roaring, if you know what I mean. Andy sat relaxed in his strange-looking easy chair, watching as Ned took out his shirt before putting it on. Andy's face wore an expression of undisguised admiration and real friendliness. "'Can't you stay a little while longer?' Andy asked, sounding a trifle wistful. It's nice to have somebody your own age around for a change. The guys are awfully nice, and we have fun horsing around, and we're good friends. But it's nicer when there's somebody your own age. Know what I mean? Sure, Ned nodded, and reached for his necktie. Like this afternoon, Steve's swell. And we're practically blood brothers, but he's twenty-six years old, ten years older than I am, and he's a heck of a lot bigger and stronger. He's a sort of big brother, you know. They all are. Watch us like a hawk all the time, because Dad's afraid something might happen to me and Nan. His smile suddenly glowed. I have fun with them, like in the living room before lunch. Steve and I kid around like that a lot, but it is sort of uneven. He lets me win sometimes, but that's sort of hollow. I know he's letting me win. You see what I mean? Yeah, Andy, Ned said slowly. I see what you mean. You're sort of lonesome for a friend your own age. That's it. That's why I was hoping you'd come on this trip. It would be a real break for me. I wish I could, Ned said with heartfelt sincerity. I wish I could. You can come back, though, can't you? Can I? Try and keep me away. Spend a couple of days, maybe? I'll try, Andy. Next weekend, maybe. I'll sure try. There was a knock on the door, and at Andy's gate, advance and be recognized door opened and the senior Baldwin came in, followed by the towering figure of Steve Westlake and a thin, wiry little man with strange glasses and a wild shock of gray hair. "'Dr. Bliss,' the financier said. "'This is Ned Bartley. You've heard me speak about his father.' "'Ah, oh, yes,' an enormous voice, totally unexpected from such a small man, boomed around the room. "'So you're Bartley's son, eh? Capital, capital!' Ned shook hands with him, aware as he did so that this was the first old person he had seen wearing the bright green clothes that seemed to be a sort of uniform around best. "'Don't let my glasses startle you,' the man boomed. "'They're trifocals, you know. Trifocals. Yes, quite. Yes, indeed.' "'Is there anything about him that would make it impossible for this boy to take the trip to Mars with us?' Mr. Baldwin asked. "'Hm, hm. Come here, young man. Let me have your hand.' Ned extended it, and the doctor took it in both his own, bent it forward and backward, rubbed the skin near the wrist, and scrutinized the fingernails closely through his strange glasses, all the while giving vent to strange inarticulate sounds in his astonishing voice. He made Ned kneel before him, took Ned's face in his hands, and rubbed delicately with his thumbs along the ridge of Ned's eyebrows and over his cheeks. He pulled down the eyelids, bent Ned's head backward, and felt along his throat with his thumbs, his face all the while only a couple of inches away his eyes looking like miniature rainbows behind the odd glasses. He moved Ned's head in a complete circle, bending it first to the right, then forward, then to the left, then back again. 
meantime peering intently into his ears and nostrils. "'Humph!' he said at last. "'Get up, boy, get up. Nothing wrong with you. Nothing at all. Of course you've been down with a bad case of flu, obviously. Took care of it, didn't you? Very wise of you. Very wise. Yes. Humph. This time next week you'll be strong as a horse. A horse. Quite. No, Silas, there isn't any reason why he shouldn't go. Nothing physical. Healthiest young animal I've ever seen. Yes, quite. He shook hands with Ned again, harumphed a few more times, and disappeared down the corridor amid strange little sounds. Takes time, Andy grinned a little, but Doc always answers the question. So, Mr. Baldwin smiled at Ned, Doc says there's nothing physical to keep you back, and he's the best man in the business. You want to come? I want to go like anything, Ned replied quickly, but— Your guardian, I suppose. Would it help if I talked to him? No, sir, Ned answered candidly. That would make things worse. Ever since the business of the grove of trees, he's hated best more than anything else, I think. Grove of trees? Baldwin looked puzzled. What grove of trees? Right where that hole was I came through this morning. My Uncle Owen thought he owned the whole grove, and Mr. Kingsley said you had stolen it from him, so he hates you. Kingsley? Baldwin's face was suddenly alive with interest. Forced Sherlock Kingsley? Ned nodded. He's here, in Hillstown? Sure, Ned answered. He's head of the Sons of the Vigilance, in Hillstown. Hmm, Baldwin said thoughtfully. Is it possible? A tall man, gray hair, smooth face, with a son named Ransom or Hobson or something like that? Robson. A bully he is, too. The financier walked over to the desk, his face thoughtful, and stared at the exquisitely detailed model on it for a long moment, absorbed. Andy, you got a whistle? Yes, sir. Andy opened a bureau drawer and unlocked a small metal box. Right here, number 387. Let me have it, boy. Baldwin hefted it for a moment, then he picked up the phone and spoke into it. Harry, activate whistle 387, right now. That's right. Okay? He put the whistle to his mouth and blew, the strange quivering silence becoming quite noticeable in the room, and listened as the phone made squawking sounds. Good work. List of priority A. Fine. Listen, son. Baldwin turned serious eyes on Ned. Take this. We have a machine here that hears it and pinpoints where it's blowing. I want you to take this. You may not be aware of it, but you're in very serious danger. Danger? Ned said blankly, seeing Andy's face suddenly shocked and pale. I don't understand. What danger? Kingsley and son. They're insane. Insane? Ned repeated and felt like an idiot. He sounded like an echo. Yes, dangerously insane. Crazy. Homicidal. I know. Listen, son, and try to understand. You know what Jansenium is. The stuff the ship's made of? That's right. The man went on with a fierce sort of intensity in his voice. Well, young Jansen, who invented the stuff, went out to celebrate one night in Atlanta and got plastered in some bar. Kingsley picked him up and got enough out of him to realize Jansen had something big. So he kept feeding him drinks and pumping him until Jansen passed out. Next morning, Mrs. Jansen called me to ask if I knew where her husband was. He hadn't come home the night before. That was strange, and I had a special interest in the man, so I got detectives busy trying to find him. Baldwin's face was pale with anger at the memory. They found him all right. We broke into Kingsley's house in the suburbs, and there was Jansen, spread eagled on a pool table in the basement, half dead. 
He swallowed, and his voice was carefully controlled. He was a mess. Kingsley and Son had been working him over for hours. Most sickening thing I ever saw. He stopped and looked at Ned, who felt his stomach contract with nausea. He had a vivid imagination, and Baldwin's voice was so tense with rage and horror that he could all but see the scene. The worst of it was that Jansen had told them everything they wanted to know right off. He said they were wild when he told them that Jansenium was already patented by Baldwin Enterprises, and that's why they had tortured him. He swallowed again. We managed to keep it out of the papers and got the Kingleys committed quietly, but they both swore I'd never get off the ground with Jansenium. Kingsley said he would destroy me for what I had done, and Robson said he had got even with his mother and he'd get even with me. So you watch out. I don't know how they got out, and it isn't important, but they're insane, so watch out, Ned. If there's any trouble, or even the suspicion of trouble, will that whistle hard? Is that clear? And we'll come running, Andy added. Right, Steve? Sure thing. The big man's face was stern with anger. All right, Ned nodded and slipped the whistle into his pocket. Now I better be going. Leave the hole in the fence for Ned to come through, Baldwin told Steve. But make sure you have people watching all the time. Tell them only Ned is to get to here. I suppose you got his picture? Dozens, the big man nodded. Good. Be careful, son. And any time you want to come, just crawl right through the hole. Somebody will be there to bring you. He shook hands with the Baldwins and followed Steve along the now familiar route to the garage. As they drove along at a fairly leisurely pace towards Hillstown over the right green field, the big man turned and looked steadily at Ned, who met his eyes without flinching. "'Be nice if you could come along,' Steve said quietly. "'Big break for Andy and Nancy.' "'It would be a big break for me, too,' Ned answered. "'Kingsley's look cross-eyed at you. You blow that thing here. Jansen's a good friend of mine. He got me my job here. Took him three months to get out of the hospital.' Steve's knuckles were white on the wheel, but his voice was soft and level. Blow, and I'll come running, any time, any place. He smiled suddenly, and it made him look very young. Andy likes you, side us too, and Nancy. The jeep stopped, and Steve reached into the back somewhere and came up with a folded canvas. Spread this out, and you can get through that fence without getting too dirty. Ned climbed out and took the canvas. Thanks, Steve. The big man's grip on his hand was firm, but gentle, carefully controlled so as not to hurt. No trouble. Steve looked at him steadily for a moment, then ran his big hand over his closely cropped long curls. Don't forget, kid. Blow that thing. Friend of Andy is a friend of mine. He grinned, and Ned smiled warmly. Same here, he said, and the big man nodded. They understood one another. The jeep roared to life and rolled away. Ned stood watching it until it blended with the green field. Then he turned and started to climb the barren hillock, on the other side of which was the hole. He recalled vividly the big, powerful hands, white-knuckled on the wheel. At the memory of Jansen and what the Kingsleys had done, he would not, he decided, as he began to spread the cloth preparatory to sliding under the fence, like to be either one of the Kingsleys. End of chapter 15